Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I am your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today marks the start of the 2017-2018 NBA season, and thus the start of the second season of the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm so happy to be back, and so happy to have all of you back and listening. So today we're going to go through the first day of free agency. I'm here with Kevin Nye, and Kevin, how are you doing? I am doing great, Nick. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Now, we have to start this process by talking about a few transactions that actually happened before the July 1st start of the league season. So going right back up to the draft, which was the last thing that we covered on the podcast, and the first thing we have to mention is the Jimmy Butler trade to the Timberwolves. So the Chicago Bulls sent Jimmy Butler and the 16th pick, which became Justin Patton, to the Timberwolves in exchange for Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the seventh overall pick, which turned into Lowry Markkinen. So let's start on this trade by talking about it from the Timberwolves' perspective. And as we get into a few of the later moves in free agency, the Western Conference has clearly become a lot stronger over the last couple of weeks. But do you think the Timberwolves are a potential top five seed in the Western Conference next season? Or do you think they still have too much development from Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins ahead of them? Man, I'd say they're probably in the five, six range. I mean, you got to figure, of course, Golden State's going to be number one. You got San Antonio, who is like the number two forever. And then obviously the Rockets are going to be good. So I don't know. I, I think between I'm drunk. Oh, OKC. OKC will be up there, of course. And they'll be... I don't know, they'll be in the hunt. Memphis is always good, although who knows what's going to happen with them. I, I don't know, there's a lot of young guys, but but I don't know. They're they're apparently still going to keep making some moves, and maybe Jimmy Butler won't play 55 minutes a game under Tibbs, but you never know, and maybe they'll just maybe they'll run out of steam. I have no idea, but uh, I, I do think they're, they're going to be close. I'd be surprised if they didn't make the playoffs. What about you? So I think the most important part of the Jimmy Butler move for the Timberwolves is that they have a defensive piece now. Mm -hmm. Carl Anthony Towns is a generational talent on the offensive end, but he's still failed to grasp the defensive end so far in his career. And even though the Timberwolves brought in Tom Thibodeau, they were still near the bottom of the league defensively last year. I think the most interesting question that I will have with the Timberwolves this upcoming season is the fit between Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins. They're Mm -hmm. both guys who tend to be more effective with the ball in their hands. They both had shaky three-point shooting for the last few seasons, to say the least. So, and they're very similar players just in terms of being 6'7", 6'8", swingmen. Now, obviously, Jimmy Butler is already an all-NBA caliber player, and Andrew Wiggins isn't quite there yet, but I think it will be interesting to see just how the two of them fit together on the offensive end. On the defensive end, I think Andrew Wiggins is going to be really, really happy to have Jimmy Butler around. I would think so. Yeah, now all of a sudden Andrew Wiggins doesn't have to take the toughest defensive assignment every night, and he's not exactly a plus defender at this point in his NBA career. Now, I wouldn't go as far as 538 did and say that Andrew Wiggins is the worst defender in the NBA just because he had a lot of tough assignments with Zach Levine alongside him on the wing, who's probably even a worse defender than Wiggins is, but that's a huge upgrade to Jimmy Butler from Zach Levine as a defensive wing. And even now, and now that they got... So they just traded Rubio. I know we'll get to, to Rubio later, but he was like a... I always heard of him, and I didn't see a lot of Timberwolves games, but I always heard of him as like a 
uh, a high risk, high reward defender. So if that's the case, now you got at least a bigger defender in the mix with Butler. And I guess Levine's pretty, pretty okay size, but he's not, you know, he can't body up on a guy the way, the way Butler can. So I don't know. I, I, yeah, they're, they're going to be fun, man. I think they're going to be cool. Losing Ricky Rubio is always going to hurt your team's league pass rankings, but I think getting Jimmy Butler more than makes up for it. Now, on to the other side of this trade. So, I actually happened to be in Barclays on draft night, and there was a Timberwolves fan who was sitting a row in front of me, and when the original terms of the trade were announced, I thought that this guy couldn't be any happier. He was shouting, he was he was screaming for joy, he was the happiest guy in the building. And that was before we found out that the 16th pick was also going back to Minnesota in the trade, at which point this guy basically passed out in his chair. Now, Chris Dunn has the potential to be an elite, elite defender. He probably will make an All-NBA defensive team at some point in his career, but he was one of the 10 worst offensive players in the league last year, in my opinion. And Zach Levine is an uber-athlete with a great three-point shot, who relies on his athleticism more than I think pretty much anyone else in the league because a lot of his accuracy from three-point range is because he can just rise above everybody with his ridiculous vertical leaping ability. And he just tore his ACL. And he didn't play a game after that. The Bulls haven't seen how he's going to recover from that. So, you know, on top of those two, they get the seventh pick, which they used to select Lowry Markkinen. I said on the draft podcast that I'm very out on Lowry Markkinen. I continue to be so. The original terms of the trade, Butler for Levine, Dunn, and the seventh pick, I thought that was a steal for the Timberwolves. Then the Bulls threw in a draft pick going the other way, and I just don't know what to say anymore. It's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> it's like uh, it's like the Bulls are trying to become the fourth most popular team in Chicago. Fifth? I guess fifth. You got, what, the Cubs... And the Blackhawks and the White Sox and the Bears. And the Bulls are just trying to reach the bottom. I don't know why, but seems to be the case. They're certainly the fifth most popular team in Chicago, according to Jerry Reinsdorf, but that's an entirely separate question. Sure. <laughs> Let's move on to another big trade that was announced before the start of free agency. Chris Paul told the Clippers that he was not planning to resign with them in free agency. So instead, he opted into the last year of his contract, and the Clippers traded him to the Rockets for... They traded him for, like, 14 guys. <laughs> yeah, here, let me run down the list for you. Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, Sam Decker, Montrez Harrell, Darren Hilliard, Kyle Wilcher, DeAndre Liggins, and <laughs> a first-round pick next year that is protected in the top three as if somehow the Rockets are going to end up in the lottery. <laughs> so... Man. You talked about the Spurs as being the perennial number two in the West earlier. Do you think that this trade makes the Rockets a contender for second best team in the West? Yes, I do. You know, part of me is is like maybe uh, maybe they're going to have bench problems since they literally traded away what guys like six through twelve in that trade. I mean, those are two big three tournament teams that you could play against Allen Iverson right now. But no, they they do need a bench, but. I think to be the second best team in the conference, you don't actually need a bench. You need a bench to win a championship, uh, as the Cavs painfully, in my opinion, proved. But no, like, they're obviously going to be good. They, Harden and Chris Paul, I mean, that's, that opens James Harden back, that opens it up again for James Harden to not 
turn the ball over five and a half times a game, which is probably good. And we'll see what else goes on. I actually just literally while we were uh, preparing to record, there's a there's a new article on ESPN from Woj, which is weird now that he's at ESPN, that the Cavs are engaged in serious discussions to send Iman Shumpert to Houston. Doesn't say who it would be for, but you know they're gonna they're gonna get a few more pieces before this is done. And yeah, it's it's hard to imagine them not being at least giving San Antonio a run. I know guys like Pau Gasol and Tony Parker are just going to be one year older, but uh, but you know nothing matters as the sun comes up every morning and the Spurs win fifty five games every year. That's the way it goes. The Rockets in the playoffs last year ran into one big problem on the offensive end, which was teams would allow them to get a bunch of shots in the mid-range because the Rockets system completely ignores mid-range shots. And they just acquired one of the best mid-range jump shooters in the history of the NBA in Chris Paul. So other teams aren't going to be able to allow the Rockets shots in the mid-range all day anymore because Chris Paul's going to take them and he's going to make them. And you mentioned that the Rockets are acquiring other contracts. I think it is worth noting that there were a couple of non-guaranteed contracts along with Hilliard, Wilcher, and Liggins that the Rockets acquired leading up to this trade, but were not part of this deal to the Clippers, which definitely signals to me that Daryl Morey either isn't done dealing yet, or at least isn't done trying to deal for other superstars yet. Here's the thing that I love the most about this trade. The Clippers had the least leverage of any team that traded a superstar in the week from the draft to now. Mm-hmm. And we will get to this later, believe me, but they got the best return by far. Yeah. Like, it wasn't even close. If you look at the Jimmy Butler trade and what they got, the Clippers got Patrick Beverly, who was on the first team all defense this year and is on one of the best contracts in the NBA. They got Lou Williams, who probably would have been sixth man of the year last year if not for his own teammate Eric Gordon stealing a lot of the shine there. They got Sam Decker, who was pretty solid in his first full season after playing three games in his rookie year due to injury. They got Montrez Harrell, who's an incredibly effective rim runner who didn't get much playing time just because he was behind two even more effective rim runners in Clint Capella and Nene. And they also got a first-round pick. Yeah. That's pretty I mean, good. That's pretty good, and Chris Paul could have left for nothing, and instead yeah. they get that. So props to the Clippers for that one. Yeah. Let's move on to a slightly smaller trade, but one that has already shown some importance in this free agency process. Mm-hmm. The Timberwolves shipped Ricky Rubio to the Jazz in return for the Thunder's 2018 first-round pick, which was going to be a better pick, you know, before another trade we're about to discuss later. Yeah. But does this mean the end of the George Hill era in Utah? Because I don't see why they would re-sign him to a massive contract after, you know, getting Rubio on the books. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and that seems like it's going to be a problem. I mean, haven't we been hearing that Gordon Hayward is more likely to stay if George Hill stays because they're BFFs or something? So, I, I mean, that's a concern. However, and this is sort of bleeding into the Gordon Hayward talk, but, I mean, Rubio great passer. I would want to play with him. But that's that's a different discussion, I guess. Uh George Hill, yeah, he's probably gone. I mean, what do you need what do you need two 
legitimate starting caliber point guards for. There's no good reason for it that I can see. But, you know, I've been wrong before. Most teams don't need point guards, but then the T-Wolves drafted all three that one year in front of Steph Curry, or Johnny Flynn and, uh, and Rubio, right before Curry. So, who knows? I think he's done there, but I'm not calling the shots. All right. Time for the blockbuster. <laughs> oh, boy. Paul George to the Oklahoma City Thunder for Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. There are no first-round picks in this trade. There are no second-round picks in this trade. That is that is the full... That's it. That's the trade. Here's my favorite part of this. Victor Oladipo did not play a single game for the Oklahoma City Thunder under his four-year, $84 million extension. Here's another thing I love about this trade. Victor Oladipo is getting paid $1 million per year less than Kevin Love. That's amazing. I just pulled that up, too. I was like, this has got to be a typo. He's making $21 million every year for the next four years. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Well, we know who did, but... (laughs) Here's the thing. I think that Victor Oladipo is getting underrated just because he had a bit of a down year with the Thunder without the ball in his hands as much, where he's at his most effective. I think he's still a high-quality defender whose three-point shot is improving. And at the end of the day, he's also from Indiana University, which I'm sure helped make Kevin Pritchard's mind up that this trade was a good idea for Indiana. But if you're giving me door one, that's Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis, and door two, that's Kevin Love, why (laughs) would you ever choose door one in that situation. Not to mention that the Boston Celtics reportedly offered Jay Crowder, Marcus Smart, and two low-level first-round picks. Jay Crowder might be the second-best contract in the NBA behind Patrick Beverly. All of this, of course, excluding the maximum contracts, which are just unfair values for teams because there's a maximum, and LeBron James and Steph Curry are probably worth $100 million a year. But there were... GMs who almost immediately after this trade was announced started leaking the terms of their offers to Indiana for Paul George, and I don't think I've seen one yet that wasn't better than the haul that Indiana received. I mean, Victor Oladipo, he might be getting underrated right now, but comparing him to Kevin Love is no contest, and DeMontis Sabonis started the year off strong, but he hit the rookie wall so hard that I think he's still lying down there in front of it. I mean, yeah, I, and they didn't even get a pick back, right? If you're trying to rebuild, if you didn't want to rebuild, you could have taken Kevin Love. Right. If you wanted to rebuild, you could have taken Boston's offer of Crowder, Smart, and a couple first-round picks. Yep. I mean... It doesn't make any sense. One of Kevin Pritchard or Herb Simon, the owner, must have just said, I love Victor Oladipo, I want to get Victor Oladipo, I don't care what else I get back. There were reports today that I don't want to lend complete credence to, because I'm not 100% sure they're true, but rumor is that Kevin Pritchard accepted Oklahoma City's offer because he didn't want to trade Paul George within the Eastern Conference, and if that's actually the reason for this trade, Kevin Pritchard should be fired yesterday. (laughs) I mean, I I get the idea of like, oh, I don't want to play against him, but I mean, who is he kidding? Does he think that without them, they're going to be like a high-level playoff contender and it's actually going to matter? So, yeah, I'm with you. It's uh. A head-scratcher is a bit of an understatement for for how this one went. But hey, 
I have lived most of my life in Cleveland. I'm a I'm a Cavaliers fan through and through. I remember the the Mark Price days as a kid, and then the glory days of Ricky Davis and Darius Miles. So I am thrilled to have one more threat out of the Eastern Conference. It's ridiculous. It's an absolute cakewalk. I don't know why anyone signs in the West, and yet everyone goes there. It's great. So five of the 15 players on last year's All-NBA team are in the Eastern Conference, and according to ESPN's NBA rank, 13 of the top 14 are now in the Western Conference. Yep. I guess the one remaining question with this trade, is there any chance that Paul George sees his move to Oklahoma City as anything more than a one-year detour before immediately jumping ship to Los Angeles? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. <laughs> no, I don't think there's a chance. I think he's gone. Wow, that's an awful big limb you're going out on there. I know. I'm really... I'm a risk taker. What can I say? I mean, why would he? Uh, unless, by some fluke, they beat one of the great teams out west? I don't know. I, no, there's no way. Honestly, even if they make the Western Conference Finals, I'm not sure he would stay. Yeah, it would have to be something real special. Uh, something like... So it would have to be a fluke, you know, they'd have to make it there, and then someone on Golden State would have to get hurt, I don't know, it's, there's, I don't think there's any chance. And the Thunder have reportedly offered Westbrook a maximum extension that he's reportedly not taking until the end of next year, when he sees what exactly happens to Paul George, <laughs> so... All right, let's move on from the pre-July 1st trades to the July 1st signings. And you can track all of these signings, actually, on the Hashtag Basketball website. On the front page, there is a link to the Hashtag Basketball free agency tracker page, which is incredibly useful, and I've been using it to write basically all day. So definitely check that out when you get a chance, because it's really helpful throughout this process. Anyway, the first deal of July 1st was technically announced in the hours leading up to July 1st, Blake Griffin scheduled meetings with the Phoenix Suns and the Miami Heat, then canceled all of them before free agency even opened and agreed to a five-year maximum contract worth $173 million with the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, I didn't see any way that the Clippers weren't going to do everything in their power to re-sign Blake as soon as they heard that Chris Paul wasn't returning. But Blake is reportedly out until December with that toe injury, and while a couple of his injuries over the past few years, namely his staff infection and broken hand from punching an equipment manager, are not the kind of injuries that are recurring injuries, Blake has had some trouble in the past with injuries, and he looked a lot less explosive over the past couple years than he had during his jumping over the hood of a Kia Prime. But what are your thoughts on Blake Griffin re-upping with the Clippers for max money? I think it is an overvalue of Blake Griffin. Of course they were offering him. Of course the Suns were probably going to offer him a max too. But it pains me to say it, that Blake Griffin is not as exciting as Blake Griffin used to be. He's still a good follow on Twitter. He's a pretty funny guy. But I I don't have it up right now. I know that I looked this up before on a basketball reference that... Through like the first four years of his career, Blake was averaging like, I think it was 2.3 dunks per game, 2.5 dunks per game. And in the last three full seasons, and yes, he's had some injuries, 
it's down to like 1.1 per game. He's just, he's not that explosive guy anymore. I mean, he's a, he's a great basketball player. He's really good. He's just not as fun to watch. And he, maybe he does deserve the, the full max contract. But like you said, I mean, he's had enough injuries that it's not, obviously no contract is a sure thing, but it's not, it's not a sure thing. He's, I don't know. He's, he's not that, he's not jumping over a car anytime soon. I don't know. I, they were right to do it. I know there's the theory that this is going to unleash Blake Griffin, the point forward, and he is good at that. He's very good at that. Uh, it's just not as exciting. I, you know, I want more heroes and villains, and uh, that's what everybody wants. And I don't know. The Clippers were a wonderful villain because they were just so much fun to root against, and uh, they're a little less villainous when Blake Griffin doesn't embarrass dudes. I guess that's my take on it. So my take on it is that Maximum contracts almost across the board undervalue the players that are getting signed to those maximum contracts. And just two years ago, Blake Griffin was one of the five best players in the NBA. True. And you talked about the point forward stuff. I think that's incredibly relevant here. Blake is going to be the primary focal point of the Clippers offense. And the last time he was the primary focal point of the Clippers offense, he made the all-star team as a rookie and averaged 22 and 12. Now, he's not the same athlete that he was then, but his jump shot has gone from non-existent to actually pretty solid from mid-range. He's gone from in the mid-50s as a free-throw shooter to in the mid-70s. Over the past three years, he's averaged more than five assists per game. I mean, we talk about Nikola Jokic and LeBron James as the best passing big men, but Blake Griffin belongs in the conversation. He really does. And I think he's going to show a lot more of that value when he gets more chances to have the ball in his hands. The problem is that he's not going to do that till at least December. <laughs> well, it's not just that he's not going to do it until at least December. It's that this is a huge dice roll by the Clippers. Yeah. And the Knicks tried something similar with Amari Stoudemire, and it completely didn't work out. And moving on to our next contract, the Warriors tried something very similar with Stephen Curry when they signed the man who reportedly had glass ankles to a four-year, $44 million contract extension. And during that contract, Steph Curry won two MVP awards and became the most underpaid player in the league to the extent that the Warriors were able to sign Kevin Durant in free agency. So almost immediately upon the start of free agency. I think it was announced at literally 12.01 a.m. Eastern Time. The Warriors re-signed Stephen Curry to a five-year Supermax contract of $201 million. Steph Curry was underpaid on his previous contract. He is now getting paid more than any other player in the league, and I still think he's underpaid. (laughs) The Warriors had a net rating of 17.2 with Steph Curry on the floor. They had a 12.1 net rating overall. His net rating was better than any Warrior besides JaVale, but when he sat, the Warriors had a net rating of 1.0, and their offensive rating fell from best in the league by a wide margin with Steph on the floor to just barely above the offensive rating of the 27th ranked Atlanta Hawks when he sat. I mean, Kevin Durant got all the shine this season, and he deserved a lot of it. I mean, he very clearly deserved his finals MVP, and the Warriors are obviously a much better team with him. But Steph Curry is still the engine that drives that offense, and there is no contract that he could be paid that would 
rightly compensate him for just how much value he provides to the Warriors franchise. So remember earlier when I was going out on a limb saying that Paul George is not going to stick around in Oklahoma City, uh, I'm doing it again. I'm going out on another limb and saying that uh, Golden State signing Steph Curry to a Supermax contract uh, was the right move for the Warriors. I, I think he's a pretty good player. Yeah, you know, he might he might live up to that contract. And, you know, hey, maybe his ankle injuries might make him worth $11 million a year again. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, and maybe the Bulls will win the title next year. Maybe. <laughs> I don't, which one's more likely? That'd be a nice little uh, take your bet. Bulls more likely to win the title, or Steph Curry uh, more likely to not live up to his contract? Not live up to $11 million a year? I mean, I think the Bulls' odds of winning a championship are better than Steph Curry not being worth $11 million a year. He'd basically have to retire. <laughs> He would have to become the Carolina Panthers full-time cheerleader for that contract to not be worth $11 million. Yeah. Moving on to the other five-year giant contract signed by a point guard in the opening of free agency, the New Orleans Pelicans signed Drew Holiday to a five-year $126 million contract, and I was about as completely unsurprised by this contract as I was completely unsurprised by the Steph Curry contract because with the Pelicans cap situation and the fact that they have one year left of DeMarcus Cousins, mm -hmm. they had no way to replace Drew Holiday and they were going to be completely screwed without Drew Holiday running the point for them. If you didn't describe it that way, I would look at this and be like, man, that is way too much money for Drew Holiday. But like you said, they didn't really have a choice. And they, they need a point guard. They need they need him to be there. They need someone there. So, you know, make it work this year and see what happens next, I guess. Holiday struggled a bit on the offensive end down the stretch, which is troubling given that down the stretch is also when they had DeMarcus Cousins. Right. But I think a training camp for them to work things out will make them a much better team just because trying to throw together Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins into an offense in the middle of a season, I just, I never thought that that was going to work out. And I have and will continue to cape for DeMarcus Cousins forever. Sure. One One last thing on that is that um, to to your point about about it being down the stretch that they had some trouble is those were with Boogie and Davis those are guys who've never played on a team with another star so it's not like when uh, when a guy like if Durant had joined the Warriors halfway through the season they probably would have been fine because all of those guys knew how to play with other stars with other studs with other guys who needed the ball now and then but Cousins never had that or not effectively i mean i guess he had rudy gay at one point um and and davis has never had that so like I, I totally agree having a training camp and some time to really figure it out will will do wonders for them i think the next major point guard contract on the list jeff teague who replaced ricky rubio on the timberwolves on a three-year 57 million dollar contract this contract confused me a little bit just because I feel like if you were replacing Ricky Rubio on a Timberwolves offense that desperately needed shooting, that you would need someone with more than a 35.5% career average from three-point range. Mm -hmm. But my thought on this is just that the Timberwolves decided that they needed an average shooter over Ricky Rubio, who, even though he is excellent at everything that doesn't involve shooting, he is 
historically bad at yeah. shooting, and that cramped up the Timberwolves' offense, and it would have cramped up their offense even more after swapping a solid three-point shooter in Zach Levine for an iffy three-point shooter in Jimmy Butler, who's excellent at everything else. And Teague is not a bad defensive point guard, but Ricky Rubio is an excellent defensive point guard, so they're going to lose out on that end. But I guess the calculus from the Timberwolves' perspective is that Jimmy Butler, Andrew Wiggins, and Ricky Rubio were just not going to fit as a backcourt threesome. Right. So Jeff Teague is a better fit than Rubio, even though he's not perfect, and we'll see what they can do from there. Yeah, I'm going to miss Jeff Teague for one reason only, and that is during the Pacers series uh, against the Cavs, every game I bet $2 that Jeff Teague would be under the total number of points and assists that the sportsbook let out, and uh, every time I won. So that's why I'm going to miss Jeff Teague. Other than that, you know, like you said, I think it's fine for Minnesota. He's a, he's a shooting upgrade, that's for sure. But, they're, man, Timberwolves, look at these guys. They got a lot going on. Also, this officially means that Victor Oladipo is absolutely the starting point guard in Indiana, which I would hope so if you're making $21 million. Well, I'm sure Lance Stevenson has something to say about that. I'm sure he does. So let's just quickly run through some of the other contracts that were signed on the opening day of free agency before moving into some of the guys who are still on the market. Starting off with Sean Livingston, who returned to the Warriors on a three-year, $24 million contract. And Sean Livingston is a nearly perfect fit with the Warriors. And almost immediately after signing that contract extension, he reportedly told CSN Bay Area that you can't put a price on happiness. And for someone who's been through as much in their career as Sean Livingston has, even though he might be getting a little bit underpaid on this contract, given that a lot of teams need backup point guards, I'm just so happy for him that he's able to say something like you can't put a price on happiness after he was such a touted prospect that almost immediately, I think it was his second year in the league, just completely blew up his knee and They thought they might have to amputate his leg at the time. So for him to be where he is now after that, I'm just happy for him. Same here. I, I, you know, like I said, as a Cavs fan, I have kind of been forced to not like him for the last couple of years, but I'm thrilled that he's got championships. I'm happy he signed a big contract. I thought he was going to get more, but, you know, the only difference between $8 million a year and $10 million a year is $2 million a year. And, you know, who cares at that point, Um, which is easy for me to say. Uh, no, I, Cavs had him at one point, and I was happy that he was back in the league, but yeah, good for Sean Livingston. Next up, Cristiano Felicio re-signed with the Bulls on a four-year, $32 million contract. He's a young big man with defensive upside and decent shooting potential. Honestly, the Bulls weren't going to spend their cap space on anybody, so I don't really have a problem with this contract. It could turn out to be a disaster by year three if he hasn't progressed, Or it could turn out that they got him on a really valuable deal if he ends up hitting his ceiling. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, uh, if they're wrong, $8 million a year isn't, is probably not going to cripple them. And if they're right, you know, good for them. But it's kind of a non-issue, I think. Patty Mills re-signed with the San Antonio Spurs for four years and $50 million. This seems pretty obvious after the Tony Parker injury. The only really surprising thing about this on my end is what does this say about George Hill's market? Because the two top contenders to re-sign him were the Jazz Mm -hmm. or going back to San Antonio with the Spurs. And 
with the Patty Mills contract and the Ricky Rubio trade, I'm not sure either of those teams really has a need for George Hill right now. I agree. I don't know where he's going to go. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have a good answer for where he's going to end up. I do think that uh, the Mills signing was good, though. I mean, kind of a no-brainer for them. Like you said, when Parker went down, he's he's the guy. Tony Snell re-signed with the Bucks for a four-year, $44 million contract that could go as high as $46 million with some of the incentives in the deal. He had a breakout season last year in Milwaukee. If he's as good as he was last year, he's completely worth this contract. But if this was an outlier and he turns out to be more like the player he was on the Bulls, this is going to look disastrous really soon. Yeah. I'm also a little bit confused about why Milwaukee needed him back so badly when part of the reason he got so much playing time early in the season is because Chris Middleton was out with injury. Right. Yeah, I'm with you. To me, the once you get over $10 million, that's, that's the risky range where, yeah, it could pay off, but... That's kind of tying up some cap space at that point on, like you said, someone who was playing a lot during fill-in minutes and, you know, maybe it's, uh, maybe he'll play early in the season, they'll look to make a trade and fill somebody else in. I don't know. It's, contract seems fine, but I, I would be a little wary of it myself. David West reportedly re-signed with the Warriors for a one-year minimum contract. Basically, he just wants to run it back one more time before he retires, which he said as he signed the contract. All of the Warrior centers basically are free agents now, especially after they renounce the rights to James McAdoo. Mm -hmm. So at this point, just bringing West back, at least they have someone on the depth chart to prevent Draymond Green from playing 48 minutes a game at center. <laughs> They're probably going to bring back at least one of JaVale or Zaza anyway, but David West was solid for the Warriors during the playoffs, and he's a solid locker room presence and has been for years. So kudos to him. He finally got his ring. Maybe, probably, he'll get one more. Yeah, that's how I feel. No terribly strong feelings other than uh, I would not want to take a screen from David West. Langston Galloway signed with the Pistons for three years and $21 million. Galloway is almost the definition of a 3 and D player. He hit 39% of his threes last season and was one of the top defenders in the league, according to Synergy's defensive stats. I'm a bit worried about that three-point percentage for Galloway, honestly, because he shot 39% from deep last season, but his career mark before that was under 35%. So if he's closer to the three-point numbers that he put up last year, this is probably a great signing for Detroit. And if he doesn't, it's verging into the realm of questionable. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I, I like, I relatively like Langston Galloway, but yeah, that's, which one's the outlier? Is it that he's gotten better, or was it that, you know, he shot pretty well last season? Time will tell, I guess. 21 million isn't the same risk as 46 on Tony Snell, so uh, so at least they got that going for him in Detroit. About two minutes before we started recording this podcast, J.J. Redick signed with the Philadelphia 76ers on a one-year, $23 million contract. The Sixers said in advance of free agency that they were looking to sign one-year deals, and this is pretty high value on a one-year deal, as is the next contract that we're about to get to, which was announced while we were recording this, but J.J. Redick is... Such a great fit for that Sixers team. He's just going to spot up and run around screens and shoot three-pointers all day long. And he's going to be an older head in the locker room for a really young team. And honestly, I think this makes the Sixers a playoff team. I do, too. 
Uh, I like J.J. Redick. He's, he's, he's going to be great there. Like you said, he's going to be one of the old guys on the team. He's He's got, man, that's a lot of experience now, isn't it? He's been in the league like 10 years. Um, no, he's going to be great. They're going to have these ball, not ball-dominant guys, but guys who need attention. If, if Embiid is healthy, how do you leave him one-on-one? Well, if you double him, J.J. Reddick's going to be running around somebody and hitting open jumpers. I think it's great. I love that deal. Another one-year contract for the Sixers. They signed Amir Johnson to a one-year, $11 million contract. I see this as insurance if Embiid or Simmons can't stay healthy. And if both of them do stay healthy, Amir can be a great expiring contract to try and move the trade deadline. True, but what are the odds that Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons can't stay healthy? Oh, come on, man. <laughs> I think Amir Johnson's probably going to be fine. I think that's a, a good insurance policy. Uh, there are going to be times that Embiid and, and Simmons both get into foul trouble, and I think it'll be good to have uh, another body inside. And like you said, that, that could be a good dangling uh, piece of bait for someone if if and when Philly makes a little playoff run and wants to to shore up uh, a little bit and make a midseason trade. I think that's a good piece. All right, so now on to the biggest remaining targets of free agency. And because of the trades that happened at the draft and slightly before the start of free agency, a lot of the big names are already off the board, but that doesn't mean that there aren't quite a few big names that are still out there. And the biggest of those big names is Gordon Hayward. He had his meeting with the Heat today. He's reportedly meeting with the Celtics tomorrow and with the Jazz again on Monday. Now, he has said time and time again that he really loved playing with George Hill and that he really wanted George Hill to remain in Utah if he was going to do the same. With the movement of all of these stars to the Western Conference, if I'm Gordon Hayward, I kind of knock Utah off my list at this point. And that's really unfortunate given how good they were last season during the incredibly limited stretches where all their starters were healthy. But if George Hill doesn't come back and with all the stars moving to the Western Conference, I think Hayward's probably better off at this point either trying to sign with the Celtics, who have struck out on literally everybody else at this point, or to go to South Beach and see how that works out. Because at the end of the day, Pat Riley's had a lot more success putting big teams together than pretty much anyone else in basketball. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right. He's probably not going back to Utah. That bums me out. Not just because if he goes to Miami or Boston, it means he's coming to the Eastern Conference. Um, but Utah was just fun to root for. Um, they're Utah. You know, what else do they have going on sports-wise? It's just fun to to cheer for them, I think. I don't know. I... I I wish he was going back there, but it's hard not to see him going to... I, I would lean toward Miami. You know, it's it's funny to to look at this, like, not as a fan. Like, oh, where would you want to live? Salt Lake, Boston, or Miami? And to me, it's Miami and Salt Lake way ahead of Boston. Nothing against Boston. Um, it's lovely. But, hey, Salt Lake, you live in the city at the mountains. If you go to Miami, you live at the beach. That's pretty cool. I would like that. Obviously... There's more to it, I assume. But I, yeah, I think he'll probably end up in Miami if I had to guess. Um, but I really wish he would go back to Utah. That was a fun team. And, and they were just, uh, yeah, they were just fun to root for. That Clippers series, loved it. I, I ate that up. So, yeah, I, I think, I think Miami. 
Yeah, that Clipper series was a lot of fun. And if I had to handicap it right now, I would say Miami, then Utah, then Boston. I agree. Just because Rudy Gobert is incredible, and he's gotten so much better already in his brief time in the NBA, and he's only 24. Yeah. And if I'm Gordon Hayward, I look at all three of those teams, and I think three years from now... Rudy Gobert is the best player on any of those three teams, with the possible exception of Hayward. And honestly, just given how important centers are to teams' defensive schemes, it's possible that Rudy Gobert has almost caught up to Gordon Hayward in terms of value already. And going forward, that's, you know, something that should definitely factor in. Yeah. But just given how many stars have moved to the Western Conference over the past week and a bit. Over the last, like, five years, forget about just the last week. I think Miami's probably the leader in the clubhouse at this point to sign Hayward. Yeah. Moving on, Paul Millsap, he reportedly canceled his meeting with the Suns while we were recording this podcast, and the Atlanta Hawks are already out of the question. They've basically said they're not going to re-sign him at this point. So now I think the leaders in the clubhouse are the Denver Nuggets and that sounds awesome. like Paul Millsap, Nikola Jokic frontcourt just sounds like so much fun. And Paul Millsap, I, I don't remember if it was that he was born in Denver or that he went to high school in Denver, but he's lived in the area before. So it's not as out of the question as Denver might be for some other star players. And it depends, I think, on the number of years of the contract, because Paul Millsap was worth a max contract last year. He will probably be worth a max contract next year just because of how incredible he is on the defensive end. I think that he was almost as much of a snub from the all-defensive teams as Avery Bradley was. Right. But the question with Millsap is, do you give him the four years? Because Atlanta's not going to give him five. But if you're the Nuggets, do you see if he's willing to take, say a three-year max contract versus maybe a four-year contract that's slightly under the max. Right. But either way, Denver's got a lot of room, especially once Danilo Gallinari leaves, which seems like a foregone conclusion at this point. And Millsap is a great fit there. And if he can return his three-point shooting to the levels it was three years ago, as opposed to the 32% over the last couple seasons, that would be a huge steal for the Nuggets. Yeah, I could. you're right, man. A, a Jokic and Millsap frontcourt, that sounds awesome. Uh, that would be a ton of fun. They were as much fun as I said it was to watch Utah in that Clipper series. Man, the Nuggets were fun coming down the stretch, too, and they are putting up like 130 points a night. You know, they basically just handed the ball over on defense. They're just like, yeah, go ahead, get your layup. We're going to go back down and play more offense. So Millsap would be pretty useful there. Uh, yeah, I think he'd be great with, with Denver. I think that would be a fun a fun matchup for him. Uh, I don't know, is there anywhere else that he's been linked to now that the, the Suns meeting was canceled? He's been linked to the Timberwolves, but they would have to clear a lot of salary for that to be even the potential discussion. They'd have to move on from... Probably both of Gorgie Jang and Cole Aldrich. And while they might be able to find someone to eat those contracts, I think they'd have to get a strong commitment from Paul Millsap to even consider that. Yeah, that makes sense. So basically, it sounds like sounds like Denver. And realistically, because of how the NBA is, they're going to offer him the four-year. Of course they are, because <laughs> that's just how it is. He'll be 36 years old, making $30 million a year, playing 28 minutes a game. Because that's, you know, that's how it goes. So, of course, literally as I said that, pretty much to the second, 
David Aldridge announced that Minnesota is probably out of the Paul Millsap talks, which is why I love the first day of free agency. <laughs> anyway, moving on to Kyle Lowry. He reportedly hasn't even scheduled meetings with anyone besides the Raptors, and honestly, after the clear-out of most of the Eastern Conference, if I'm the Raptors, I just run everything back because, hey, you're pretty much guaranteed a top-three seed at this point, and if LeBron gets hurt, you might make the finals. Yeah, that's no reason not to. Bring back Lowry, hope DeRozan can uh, make a shot in the playoffs. No offense, Toronto fans, I'm sorry, but I'm just calling them like I see them. Yeah, why not? You're at worst-case fourth seed, right, with Boston and Washington. Run it back. Why not? Hope for something to break your way. Absolutely. Last one, George Hill. We already talked about how his markets sort of dried up. Yeah. Honestly, the only team that I can even think of at this point would be the Knicks on a massive overpay for a short-term deal, which is probably more appealing than it was, you know, five days ago with Phil Jackson trying to run the triangle. True, very true. But, I mean, there's a reason that Zach Lowe said that teams are looking at the Knicks as a last resort, but unfortunately for George Hill, with the Ricky Rubio trade and the Patty Mills resigning, it might be last resort time for Hill and his camp. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't... There's not a ton of places that need him. The Knicks could use a could use a guard. They could pay him, I don't know, $100 million a year or something very Knicks-like. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, think, I think it's a possibility. I don't think he'd get a max or anything, but yeah, that's, that's as good a fit as anything for him at this point, and who knows who's actually going to be on the Knicks next year other than probably Porzingis. Uh, I am excited for the possibility that David Griffin ends up with the Knicks because I love that guy. He did just such a phenomenal job with so little uh, in the way of of, uh, of wiggle room in Cleveland. I would be pretty excited to see what he could do there. I'd be rooting for him. All right. Anything else you want to discuss before we wrap up? While we've been sitting here, I do. Uh, well, no, this was a little while ago uh, that I saw for the Shumpert to Houston thing, there's rumors that the Cavs would get a draft pick and a trade exception. So fire up that Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony buyout rumors again. Those are coming back in full force, I'm sure. Yep. Well, I mean, the banana boat is going to be out there until all those guys retire. <laughs> right. They'll they'll join forces at age 39 and play in a senior league somewhere. I don't know. I do have, I've always had the theory that LeBron is going to wait till his son is of NBA age and sign a one-year deal. Uh, to play a season with his son, but now that other people have reported that, I'm not new to to claim that anymore. You could search through my emails if you want it. I've been saying it since like 2011. <laughs> well, well <laughs> if anyone could stick around until they're 40, it's certainly LeBron James. Yep, that's the truth. That guy is something special. All right. Well, he is Kevin Nye. You can find his work on the hashtag basketball website and follow him on Twitter at K-E-V-I-N-P-N-Y-E. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can as well find my work on the hashtag basketball website. It's entirely possible that a number of the players that we discussed today will have already been signed by the time you listen to this podcast. But that's just how the craziness of free agency works sometimes. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please leave a rating and or a review in whatever podcast player you might be using. It really helps us spread the word, and we would really appreciate it. Also, if you have any feedback, you can feel free to contact me via Twitter or via email at nickaj.nba at gmail.com. 
we will probably have at least one more podcast during this free agency season, maybe something along the lines of Summer League. And if any of you have any other suggestions of anything that you might want to hear, then please let me know. And as always, thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.